This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm going to guide us for the next 30 minutes or so. And I just want to welcome you to New Life, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time. I want to welcome you. I hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, So fun being with so many of us on Christmas Eve. And here's something that you're going to want to spontaneously erupt into applause about in about 30 seconds. On Christmas Eve at our two services, we had 23 people make decisions to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So, so exciting. And it was just such a great, great time to be together. And then, I hope your Christmas was excellent. This year at Christmas, I received the most unique Christmas present I've ever received. And I got it today. Someone mailed a potato to my office that says, Happy Christmas, RevKev. They literally mailed me anonymouspotato.com, a potato to my office. So whoever that was, thank you. Uh, This is definitely the most unique Christmas present I've ever received. I hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, I saw one family that took me up on my invitation to play like kids. They bought their whole family Nerf guns and had a huge Nerf war at Christmas. So I just hope it was a great time. I hope your New Year's has been uh, has been great, and I'm so excited to join together with you today. If you're coming back from Christmas Eve for the first time, uh, a special welcome to you as well. You may have noticed, if you've been around for a while, that we reinstated name tags as we head into 2016. And, and, and you're excited about that. Well, good. I'm glad. Here's the reason why we did it. We, we stopped doing them for a while after Easter to play around with uh, how to best use our guest services team to serve you, but we realized that we lost something. We realized that whether it's your, your first time or your hundredth time here, you matter, and your story matters, and your name matters, and boy, we lost something in being able to greet you by name. And so we brought those back because I want to be able to say hi. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Jason. It's good to see you, Bill. Uh, just be able to talk to you. And I do talk to women as well. So let me see. Hi, Leanne. Good to see you as well. Uh, we just want to be able to engage each other by name. So we brought those back. I hope you like it. If you don't, you can just pull it off, put it on somebody's back. That's always a fun joke at church. So uh, just remember, you probably want to take it off before you go to the grocery store because you don't want to be that guy walking around with a name tag at the grocery store. It's just awkward. So uh, hey, when you came in, you should have received a program. Inside of it are two things you're going to want. Uh, the first is this card that says start here. It's our connection card, and we just ask everybody, whether it's, you've been coming for years or it's your first time, to put your name on that, and if you're a guest with us, your email address on that. And it's just a way for you to connect with us and the things we're doing here at New Life in our city and around the world. It's a way for us to connect with you. When you're ready to take a next step in your spiritual journey, we want to be the church that helps you do that, and this connection card helps us stay in contact with you so we can help you in any way uh, that you would like. So go ahead and get that ready. At the end of our service, we'll pass some baskets, and you can drop that card in when the baskets are passed. The other thing you're going to want are these teaching notes. Uh, They've got the Bible story we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks and a whole bunch of room on the back because as we launch a brand new series, the way that I like to set up a series is I like to kind of set the stage, ask some big questions, um, get some, some ideas out there and have you leaving with this question. Could that be true? Could that really be the truth? And if it is, how would that 
change things for me. And then what we do is we dive into a topic. We like to slow cook it. We like to marinate on it. We like to crockpot it because crockpots are better than microwaves. And so we spread it out over four, six, or eight weeks. And so what we're going to do today is dive into a a big idea that's probably going to leave you with more questions than answers. And the way to get your questions answered is to come back next week and the week after because we'll be digging into this topic. And the topic that we're going to dive into is in our brand new series that we're calling Modern Family. And I'm so excited about this series because whether you were raised in the church or you're just stepping in the doors, whether uh, you're a Jesus follower or you're brand new and uh, exploring the claims of Jesus, we all have one thing in common. We all want to have a good marriage and we all want to raise good kids. We all want to have a good modern family. Now, our definitions on what good looks like vary from person to person, but I do know this. When you got married, if, you, if you're married right now or uh, have been in the past, or when you had kids, you had an idea about your preferred picture of your future. You knew what good would look like. Now, the rub came up in your marriage when your picture of good, your expectations, and her expectations were different, or, or your expectations and his expectations were different. It, if you could trace back the majority of your parenting conflict, the majority of your marriage conflict— you would trace it back to the fact that you guys just had different expectations coming in the door. And those different expectations caused conflict. And so what we're going to do today is we're going we're to ask a big question about expectations, specifically in the context of marriage. Because it took me all of three days into my honeymoon to realize that different expectations cause conflict. And here's how our story started out. We were married in Southern California. My wife, Maria, was actually playing keyboard today. So now you can put a face with a name and you can tell her how sorry you are uh, that she's had to be married to me for all these years. My wife, Maria, and I were married in Southern California. And then we took two days to decompress in Big Bear. A friend gave us his cabin for two days. On the first full day of our wedding, Maria threw up. Now she says it was altitude sickness. I'm pretty sure she woke up and realized that she was married to me and was like, oh, dear Lord. Take me now. So we spent two days decompressing, and then we headed to Kauai for our dream vacation at this timeshare. And when we got to Kauai, I found out when we were checking in that the next morning they were doing a timeshare spiel where you go down and they give you a continental breakfast for free. You listen for like 45 minutes to them talk about their thing, and then they give away free stuff. And I love free stuff. So the next morning at 6 o'clock, I was up and out of bed and getting dressed, and, and Maria was laying in bed looking at me, and she said, what are you doing? I said, don't you remember there's that timeshare thing down there uh, that starts in a half hour. We need to get going. And she said, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to lay in bed. I said, no, no, no. Uh, they're giving away free stuff. And you get a free breakfast, even if you don't win anything else. So I, I left and went down to the timeshare thing, left my wife in bed, first day in Kauai. And I got down there, and there were a whole bunch of people in their 50s and 60s. And they said, well, what are you doing here? I said, well, it's our honeymoon, and it's our first day in Kauai. And they said, what are you doing here? I said, you must not know. They're giving away free stuff if you come to this thing. And about a half hour into the timeshare talk, I saw Maria come down and she sat in the back by herself. Now, I knew at that moment that we had a different expectation and it was going to cause what we in Christian circles like to call disagreements. It was going to cause a major fight, and it did. I almost slept on the sofa that first full night of our honeymoon. But I will say this. At the end of it, I won a free scuba diving trip, which ended up being 
the favorite thing we did on our, well, the second favorite thing we did on our entire honeymoon. So I would say, I would say that I was actually right. I was right for doing that. But here's what I learned. Common expectations about marriage and family will define the level of success that you and I have in our modern family. We have to have common expectations going in if we want to succeed in our marriage and in our family. My expectation about vacations were that vacations are for adventure, and this was my first grown-up vacation without my parents. Therefore, I was going to drink every moment of adventure out of it. Maria's expectation about our honeymoon was that it was a time to bask in the light of our love, and so she laid in bed all morning waiting for me to come back, which I never did. Different expectations create tension, but common expectations build unity in a relationship. And today what I want to do is I want to zoom way out and ask a big question about marriage. And then we're going to spend the next four or five weeks digging into the implications of the answer to that question. And then at the end of that month or so, we're going to zoom way back out and ask another big question about family. And then we're going to dive into the implications to the answer of that question about family. And here's the big question for today. Why did you say, I do? Like, why? What's the purpose of marriage? What's the point of it? Why did you say, I do? And I left some space on your notes because I want you to actually write down the answer. If you're married, write down, why did you say, I do? And I'm not going to make you raise your hand and and spouses don't look. And if you want to get married someday, write down, why do you want to get married? What's the purpose of marriage? And some of you are thinking, "I, I can't remember. Dig deep, dig deep. Why? Because the answer to that question will shape every single day of our lives. And if we have different expectations about the answer to that question, it will lead us in different directions. But if we have common expectations, it will lead us in the same direction. So write down, why did you say, I do? And once you've written it down, I just want you to stare blankly back up at me. So, okay, good. You guys have it. Wow. Is that your everyday blank look? I like that. Okay, I think we're good. Why did you say, I do? Because however you answer that question will shape every day of your life. I coached my seven-year-old Maddie in soccer this year, and she was the fastest kid on our team and usually the fastest kid on the field. So her trick was, rather than running through everyone, she would take the ball and she would run all the way around the field, turn the other direction, and everyone would chase behind her, run down, and try to score a goal. Except one day at halftime when we switched sides, she forgot which way she was going. And so she started running with everyone behind her. And I was loudly encouraging her that she was going the wrong way. That's why my wife has me coach on the far side of the field because I loudly encourage. I was loudly encouraging her, you are going the wrong way. Turn around. And just when she realized she was going the wrong way and tried to turn around, she's a lefty and she lost control of the ball and she had the best shot I've seen all year. She rocketed that ball right at the corner of her own goal and she scored a goal. Now you can be the fastest one You can be leading the pack, but if you're going the wrong direction, you will not win the game. It's true in soccer. It's true in marriage. You can be going 100 miles an hour, but if you have the wrong answer to that question, you will not win the game. And friends, marriage is too important a game 
to lose. So what are some common reasons why we say I do? Well, here's one. And if you're into romantic comedies, I like to call them emotional porn. If you're into emotional porn, um, this might be yours. You complete me. You complete me. Have you ever heard someone say, I, I, I never knew I wasn't whole until I met my other half? You're the other half. You're my soulmate. You're the yin to my yang. You complete me. That's one reason why a lot of us say I do. Other people say I do um, because of sex, you know, good sex. Or if you haven't ever had sex, any sex is good sex when you're in your 20s, right? You're looking forward to that. That's God's design, by the way. And I've had dads actually tell their kids, and they've told me this, uh, I told my son not to marry her until they've had sex so that he can know if they are compatible sexually. And I couldn't understand that until I thought, well, that's because his main reason for saying I do was sex. And so he just said, if that's not going to be good, then you want to know about it now. For others, it's romance. We fell in love. We were infatuated. I've never felt this way about anyone the way I feel about you. That was the way I felt about my wife, Maria, when we first met. I had never felt that way about anybody as I felt about her. She had me, she had me singing songs, and, and it was all rainbows and unicorns. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. She'd have me on the phone until 2 in the morning, and then we'd be up talking at 6 the next morning. Who does that? Nobody should ever do that. But we were infatuated with each other. We had that um, newly together thing, you know, where you ditch all your friends and it's just the two of you and you think we're going to take on the world. Uh, I love what psychiatrist and author Scott Peck says about romance or infatuation. He says, romance is a temporary state of insanity. So powerful that it overrides our sober judgment just long enough to get us to the marriage altar. That's hilarious and true. But did you notice the common theme in each of those three examples? They all have to do with what I get for marriage. I get physical intimacy. I, I feel like I'm whole. I, I have these feelings of infatuation or romance that I've never had before. It's all about what I get. The problem with what I get is twofold. One, those things never last at that intensity. The intensity of those things will dwindle with time. And the second problem with that is if it's all about what I get, then by inference, it's all about what you are giving. And if over time, five years, 10 years, 20 years later, I feel like I'm not getting what I should get, the obvious person to blame is you because you're not giving me what I think I should be getting. And if you're not going to give me what I think I should be getting, then maybe they'll give me what I think I should be getting. See, it's all good. It's all well and good to get what I think I should get when it comes to physical intimacy until he gains 20 pounds and his hair starts migrating south for the winter of his life. She gets stretch marks from carrying your kids. The kids are crying and foreplay turns into a high five on the way to the bedroom. All of a sudden, you're not getting what you think you should be getting anymore. Come on, I'm preaching now. You think I'm not getting it from you like I used to. I need to get it somewhere else. It's all well and good until I never knew I wasn't whole until I met my other half turns into she never stops telling me how not whole I am and giving me all the ways I could fix myself so I could become more whole. It's all well and good until infatuation is taken over by bills, work, job loss, depression, soccer practice, kids' homework, and all of a sudden that, that deep sense of we can take on the world is overshadowed by the, the cares of the world. When it's all about me, it dwindles over time and the only person I can blame is you. 
But God gives us a different answer to the question of why I say I do. And it might surprise you because his answer isn't about me. It's about something else. Now, I'm a romantic guy. I love flowers. I love movies. I love dates. I love doing things for my wife that are kind of big. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you right now, this is going to be the least romantic marriage message you have ever heard. I'm just going to throw it out there. But I want to I clear away all the romantic excitement, and I want to get to the core of it because I think this message could save someone's marriage in here today. I really do. So we're going to dive into a letter written by a guy named Paul. And if you're new to church, Paul was a Christian leader in the ancient world, and he would go around planting churches all over the ancient Near East. And what he would do is he'd plant a church, stay for a while, uh, get some church leaders set up, then go to a different city, plant a different church, stay for a while, and go and do this over and over again. But he couldn't FaceTime back to the church. He couldn't have messenger. He couldn't Gmail back to the church. And so what Paul would do is he would do like a pen pal thing. He would write letters back and forth to the various churches that he had started. They would send him a letter asking questions, and then he would write back giving answers. And I love that. I love that Paul spent his time answering questions that people were actually asking. Because I think a lot of us grew up in churches where priests and pastors were answering questions that nobody was asking, right? So we'd go and we'd sing a few hymns, and then they'd get up and give a homily or give a message, and we'd walk away not changed at all because they were answering a question that we literally couldn't care less about. And so when we started our church 17 years ago, we said, you know what? We want to take this model that Paul and other church leaders did. We want to answer questions that people are asking. And we're going to get raw and we're going to get real and we're going to step on people's toes sometimes. And it might be a little bit irreverent, but we're going to answer the questions that people are asking because that's what Paul did. So he writes to this church to answer a question that they're asking. And here's the question they're asking. They're saying, Paul, is it okay to be single? And Paul, is it okay to be married? Because in this church in a city called Corinth, where this letter is written to, it's a letter called Corinthians, in this church there were various church leaders, and some of the church leaders were saying, if you really want to honor God, you have to stay single and celibate for your entire life. And other church leaders were saying, if you really want to honor God, you need to get married and love your spouse and have kids to increase the population and to grow this Christian movement. And so there was a divergent path, and the people were left asking, well, which is it? Is it okay to be single, or is it... Is it better to be married? And Paul says, now for the matters that I wrote to you about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now guys, before you leave, just hold on because he's going to say some good stuff in a second for you. But here's what he's saying. He's saying it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's no better or no worse. It's good to be single. Singleness is a gift is what Paul is saying. Now, it might not feel like a gift all the time, and I'm not saying it's easy, but Paul would say singleness is a gift. And one thing I want to promise you is throughout this entire series, if you're single or you don't have kids, you will never be made to feel like a second-class citizen, a second-class person in this group. Because according to God, you are whole right where you are. We're told, actually, that, that there is one that our souls long for, and it's Jesus Christ. And when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we are made whole with him. We found our soulmate, the one our soul longs for. And so you're whole and full and complete right where you are. And you'll never be made to feel like less than that at this church because singleness, Paul says, is a gift from God and marriage is a gift from God. They're just different gifts with different benefits and different trials. And so he says, yeah, it's good. It's good to be single. But I want to tell you, if you're a single person in here today, 
and you're ever thinking about getting married or getting married again, or you're ever thinking about having kids, then this message is the best message for you. This whole series is great because for you, it's all proactive. It's all icing on the cake. You don't have any reactive work to do. For those of us who are married and have kids, there are going to be things we're going to have to apologize for. We're going to have to change our thinking about. We're going to have to go back and make right. But if you're single right now, this is all proactive stuff. You're going to be like the smartest single person in the world. And when you get married, you're going to like, you're going to kill it in marriage. You're going to kill it in parenting because this is really, really good stuff. And you don't have to go back and fix anything like the rest of us do. He says, so it's good to be single. Verse two, by the way, I'm getting over a cold. I'm not hitting puberty, in case you were wondering. I'm hoping I will someday. Verse two, but since, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now we'll get into the sex talk later on in this series, but uh, I just want to say this. God gives us gifts, and he gives us an operator's manual. And sex is a gift that God has given us, and the Bible is an operator's manual for the the way in which to get the most out of that gift. And God doesn't talk about sex in a way that would limit or diminish it, but in a way that would bring the most out of it. And we all have sexual boundaries, sexual ethics that we set up, because we've all known people who have been hurt or abused by someone else pressing their sexual boundaries. So we all have boundaries. We all have guidelines. The thing is, we like to set our own. And God would just say, I created the world. I created you. I created sex. And I know the best guideline. I wrote the manual. I can tell you the best way to live. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But I'm telling you, it's all good stuff. Some of you guys are thinking, give me the date for that message. I'm putting it on my calendar. I'm going to be here that week. You just got to come to all of them. You never know when it's going to come. But then in verse 3, This is where we get into why God says, I do. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife should fulfill her duty to her husband. I told you this isn't romantic, didn't I? Ladies, how many of you, when you were kids, dreamed about your husband and getting dressed up for your wedding day, and you thought to yourselves, I hope my husband sees me as his job someday. I hope he sees me as his duty on par with taking out the garbage on Wednesday night. That's how I want my husband to view me. No, 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 no one did. No one did. We want, you want your husband to desire you above all else. But can I tell you, desire is the caboose of the train and duty, work, is the engine that drives the train. And if you want to take the desire train into Steamtown, you got to get the engine running in the right direction. You got to do your job. And some of you guys are thinking, I don't have that desire towards my wife anymore. Can I tell you, could it be that you're not doing your job? That if you showed up to work the way you show up to marriage, you'd get fired. Because Paul says marriage is work. It's duty. It's a job. And he's talking about about physical intimacy here, but it goes way beyond that. How many of us are doing our emotional duty in our marriage? Making sure that your spouse is cared for emotionally. How are you feeling? What are you thinking about? How about relational duty? Making sure that our spouse doesn't feel alone or isolated. It's part of our job in marriage. And it's the duty that leads to desire, not the other way around. See, we think if I have the desire, then I'll do the work. God says do the work and the desire will follow. How about physical provision? Are we doing the work to say, are we making it as a couple? Have we set up our budget? Did you know that the majority of fights that married couples have are around finance? 
part of the reason why is you're not doing your duty when it comes to physical provision. I'm not just talking to the guy. I'm talking to the couple about this. Marriage is work. And we got to get up and go to work every single day if we want our marriage to succeed. And then he goes on to say this. He says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband's. And again, he's talking about sex. Some of you guys are thinking, I'm going to make a magnet out of that verse right there. That is fantastic. Like, I could memorize that. That's a good verse for me. That's my life verse. Hold on, guys. The <laughs> told you we get a little raw sometimes here, and I've been on vacation for a whole week. I've just been storing this up. The wife does not—if you haven't blushed yet, you just stick around a little longer. The wife does not have authority—I didn't, I didn't write it. I'm just reading it, okay? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Here's what Paul's saying. Marriage is not about, about getting. Marriage— It's not about what I can get from you, how you make me feel. Marriage is about giving, what I can do for you, how I can make you feel. You could say it this way. God invites us to say, I do. Not so that we can get, but so that we can give to someone else. How many of us said, I do, thinking to ourselves, I want to get married so that I can give my life in service to my spouse. That's why I want to get married. I told you, not romantic. But desire follows duty. God says, that's why we say I do. So that we can give our life away to another person. And what's the benefit of giving your life away to another person? Like, why do it? Well, here's something, and this is really, really interesting. The point of marriage, the point of giving our life away to another person, it's actually to make us more like Jesus. That's God's grand design around marriage. He puts us in close relationship with another person for the rest of our life to give our life in service for that person. And his grand desire is that we would become more like Jesus in the process. Here's why I say that. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus is talking about himself, and he says, even the Son of Man, that's him, did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do? He gave. He served. And our goal as followers of Jesus is to become more like God, become more like Jesus in his character and in his person. And how do we do that in the context of marriage? We do it by giving our life to another person completely. At its core, marriage, it's about learning how to love like Jesus, how to serve like Jesus. Marriage is about learning how to forgive like Jesus. Marriage is about learning how to love someone over the long haul when their physical beauty has faded, when he's gained 30 pounds, when you've heard all the jokes and all the stories, but to choose to commit to love that person all the way through. Why? Because God in Jesus loved us all the way through and never gave up. So why do we commit to a lifelong relationship? It's to make us more like Jesus and learning how to love someone for the long haul. 
And here's the great thing about this. If this really is the why for marriage, then the harder your spouse is to love, the more opportunity you have to grow in being like Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Praise the Lord for that. I've been telling my wife for the last couple of weeks, I wrote this message a few weeks ago, and I've been saying to her, hey, baby, I'm just going to work it. I'm working it. You know, she's like, Kevin, sometimes it feel hard to be married to me. I'm like, I'm like, you're just making me more like Jesus, girl. That's what I said to her. <laughs> she knows what that means now. She was less than amused <laughs> by my sense of humor. But it's true. It's true. When the makeup's gone, when the jokes are gone, when the hair is gone, Choosing to love in those moments forms in our character something that we could not form apart from those moments in becoming more like Jesus. Over the next month or so, we're going to play with this idea. As husbands, what's it look like to love our wives that way? As wives, what's it look like to love our husbands that way? As a couple, what does it look like to forgive in a way that makes us more like Jesus and to live with a clean slate? if we really believe that God is using our marriage to make us more like him, I wonder, would I listen differently? Would I serve differently? Would I forgive differently? Would we play together differently? Would we have sex differently if it was about giving and not about receiving? Would we forgive differently? Would we surrender our rights differently if we really believed that the whole goal of marriage was to become more like God through serving my spouse? Some of us are sitting here and we're thinking, wow, this is going to be a big series for us. I don't know if I can do it. I want to tell you this. Over the next weeks, we will get extremely practical about how to, if you have a good marriage, how to make it great. If you've got a rocky marriage, how to move it on the process of becoming good and one day becoming great. But in that whole process, can I just tell you, Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, the tips and the tools we give you will be helpful for your relationship, for your family, for your marriage. But there's power in God. See, God offers forgiveness for the ways that we've blown it in the past. Some of us are sitting here thinking, why didn't I hear this message three years ago or five years ago? There's forgiveness in God. He wants to make all things new. Maria said, that old life is gone and new life has begun with Jesus. There is no condemnation There is no guilt and shame. There's simply freedom in God. He forgives us for our past and the hurt that we've caused, and he he heals the hurt that's been caused to us. And we're told that God's spirit lives in us when we become followers of Jesus, and he gives us the power to do the things we were created to do, to live this life of service. Because I'm telling you, it is not easy. It's real easy to hear about for 30 minutes on a Sunday. It is not easy to live out. But God promises us, I'm not just going to tell you how to live. I'm going to give you the power to live it out. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I want to give you a chance to enter into a relationship with him today, to give your life to him, to experience his forgiveness, experience his healing, to experience his spirit moving through you and his power to guide you in the life you were created to live, to shape your marriage the way it was designed to live. I want to give you a chance to do that. So I'm going to pray right now. And then after I pray, um, I'm going to pray for all of our marriages. Then I'm I'm going to pray for you. If you're ready to make a decision to give your life to God and you can just repeat a simple prayer of commitment after me. Would you join me as we pray together? Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would take each of our marriages on the continuum. If it's rocky right now, would you move us towards healthy and good? If it's good right now, would you move us towards great? Would you show us how to switch our paradigms, God? 
to see our relationship with our spouse not as something that we get or demand, but as some, a way to give and to serve. And as you change that paradigm, would you change our actions and would you shape our relationships? And God, would you help us to become more like you in the process? And as we continue to pray, if you're ready to commit your life to God, you can start that journey by praying a simple prayer of commitment. You can, you can say to God right now, and he hears you. You can repeat these words after me. Either whisper them or you can say them in your, in your mind. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me, that you gave your life to bring forgiveness into mine, to bring healing into my life for the places I've been hurt. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.